Everybody, welcome to the sports 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 podcast. I am Joel Anderson. I'm Jordan Palmaville. And joining us as always is the sports outsider, Phil Ranta. We're live to tape. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Someday we'll podcast live live. Yeah, one, once we figure out how to use Mixer. I don't know. I, I, I feel like you guys are going to want the, the ability to edit edit me. <laughs> no, but the Mixer will have a mute button. I yeah. feel like I It'll want like you guys the to horn. have. I feel like I want you guys to have the ability to edit me. I do, well, Joel. I, so I'm the one to, that edits the podcast every week, and I have to say, uh, I now can see the percentage of time each one of us talks through the podcast, and the ability to edit. And Joel, I think, ha- says the most words per podcast, and he also gets edited the most per podcast. <laughs> oh no are you when you say words does it actually tell you literally the amount of words no you can just see it in terms of length of waveform because i have all of your audio separately so i could see who has the most waveforms throughout like when you zoom out you know what's that the power rankings me... what's the top to bottom who says the most who says the least i would guess like i think that joel says about 50 percent of the words of every podcast and uh, I think I say the second most with probably like 30, 35%. And Jordan, you say by far the least. Really? Yeah, because yeah. even though you do the uh, the first two bits, uh, you don't like uh, generally ramble on as much as, say, a Joel or a Phil. <laughs> okay, so those are words. Now do the jokes. <laughs> yeah, in terms of laughs, I mean, like 95% of them are all me, baby. <laughs> yeah. I'm the filler, and you guys are the killer. Yeah, and, and like, but, I know that. But but we've always been a some forty one album at heart. Yeah, we're all we're yeah, all killer, no, no filler. Well, no, no, uh, no, I mean, I I that just doesn't work in comedy. You need setups, and I I'm I'm just a lot of setups, and you guys pick the ones that work, and unfortunately, we can't edit out all of the ones that don't. So. You are the guy on the team who's just constantly doing the set on the volleyball. Exactly. <laughs> Even if no one's spiking it, you're setting right? it. Right. Yeah. If it's it, unlike volleyball, if it's not a good set, you guys just sort of look at me like, "What? What was that? What are we doing?" I, I would love to see the <laughs> animation of uh, this podcast as a volleyball game, where Joel constantly hitting setups, and then Phil and I just letting it fall to the ground on our side. <laughs> yeah. If some, if one of our great fans, who's also an animator out there, wants to put that together, <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh, well, now now we're just going to be flooded with animations, Phil. Oh, too much, you yeah. know. And we're and we're vamping in part because uh, sports have not yet come back, but yep. we are inching and inching closer. And today on the podcast, in a sign that maybe maybe sports are starting to come back, we have on uh, Pierre Roland and yep. uh, to talk about the Tour de France, which will not be played in July this year, but looks like it will start in August. It's not yeah. played, Jordan. Raced. Uh, Run. It's written. It's raced. <laughs> it's traversed. It's survived, Jordan. That's actually. Oh, I like that. Actually, <laughs> if, that's if a T-shirt. Every sport was turned with. If the verb to do every sport turned into survived, I might start watching sports. That feels like a no fear T-shirt. The Tour yeah. de France isn't raced. It's survived. No yeah. fear. Yeah. Bottom you of the that, ninth. Phil. You've got two strikes. You got a fat ball down the middle. Are you gonna swing or be a pussy? No fear. 
You know, I remember that shirt, and that is not an accurate, accurate representation of it. I think my brother had that one. Oh, that was a great one. I didn't have it. I was so jealous of the kid that did, though. Yeah. Anyway, we have the Tour de France. Uh, is he a commentator? Is he the president? What are we saying this guy is? What is I don't he? know. Pierre Roland is, uh, is one of the biggest uh, French cyclers of the time. The great oh. French hope, if you will. Okay, wonderful. So we have that. We have a wide world of weird sports, Phil. Goddamn right we do. And an all-new sports throughout history. But first, the grass is green. The glove is cool. Having a dog at the game. Total of baseball. Major rebrand. Baseball's cool now. Total of baseball. Brought to you by... Mountain Dew Face Punch Edition. When you take a sip, we'll come punch you in the face! Baseball is going to play a 60-game season, and I hope your Dynasty Fantasy Baseball League takes it seriously. <laughs> Some headline, and if they don't, there's nothing you can do except stew about it. <laughs> uh, the, the NBA has plans to return July 31st. The NHL has plans to begin the Stanley Cup playoffs, but no firm date yet. And now the MLB plans to return the weekend of July 23rd. Mm. When polled on the question... Should professional sports return, a whopping 74% of public health experts said, quote, you've been inside a locker room, right? (laughs) 6% said, "Uh, nah, I don't, nah. And uh, 20% said, can't talk, real busy, RN. It's right now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They're 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 a little busy right now. Maybe they're busy right now because they are an RN. Oh, they're a registered <laughs> yeah. nurse. Yeah. So it looks like we're ready for some baseball. Here's how it happened. <laughs> I'm still incredibly skeptical that they're not going to have to call this off in a week as, well, as the virus numbers continue to skyrocket. Well, do you want to hear how it came together, Joel? Sure. I guess I do. I'm just, I'm, I mostly think that all of these sports are kidding themselves and I can't believe that they're trying to go through with it, but continue. The MLBPA very recently came to an agreement with the MLB owners on Thursday, March 26th. Actually, I'm going to stop you, Jordan. That doesn't sound right. I don't think I believe that that's possible. Yeah, no, they very recently came to an agreement with the owners Thursday, March 26th. The, 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 The Players Association and the MLB owners? I don't know that this is precedented in history. Uh, now, many question the wisdom, like Joel just did, of even attempting a season, especially one that's 60 games long. But before we criticize the MLB, let's remember that the NBA's plan is to dump the biggest superstars in their game in Florida for a month. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I hate it in regards to politics, but I just realized that all of my defense of Major League Baseball is whataboutism. Usually, <laughs> oh, yeah. Usually pointed toward the NBA. But, uh, you know, this doesn't mean it's going to be business as usual. There's going to be some changes. Most of them uh, is, are basically the same as that uh, boring email you've been getting from Red Robin. You know, masks, six feet apart, <laughs> half the table's full, all that jazz. Yeah. But, but amazing onion ring stackers. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, you can order the fries up front because they're bottomless. You can right. be like, we're going to order a burger. We're not sure which one. Just bring out the fries right now, please. Right, Wait, seriously? and then before you know it, you don't even want the burger anymore because you've eaten so many French fries. Maybe I should try Red Robin. I love it. Yum. One, one, of, the, one of the changes is huge and a very temporary win for umpires. Mm-hmm. If you argue with an umpire and come within six feet of them for the purposes <laughs> of argument or altercation, immediate ejection. 
<laughs> and fines and suspensions. So we're going to find out who could kick dirt far enough to make it matter. <laughs> yeah, generally, uh, Phil, I don't know if you know this, to get suspended, you know, you, getting ejected, anyone can get ejected, but to get suspended for arguing with an ump, you basically, you have to touch them. But you can come within a millimeter of their face and just be screaming at them, spittle flying, and you're fine. And kicking dirt, right? And kicking dirt, yeah. But if you inadvertently, if you kick dirt and, like, catch their pant cuff, that's a suspension. Can't hit the umps. Yeah. There's, um, a lot of, there's a lot of them, like, in each other's faces. It looks hilarious. And then he'll, like, lean in, like, a little too much. And the umpire will feel like a brush in his cheek and just be like, whoa! And then the guy's like, I didn't! I swear I didn't! It's, it's pretty hilarious. Well, they shouldn't skate the line that close, you know? No, they but shouldn't, that's, Phil. But and that's yet. why they became baseball managers, Phil, to live dangerously. Yeah. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, this uh, within, six re- uh, within six feet auto-ejection rule also applies to players who come within six feet of an opposing player for the purposes of engaging in an altercation. Oh! <laughs> this, this unfortunately, makes unsigned outfielder Yasiel Puig a much less attractive free agent target. <laughs> Uh, so wait, let me get this straight. You're at home plate. Uh, pitch comes in. He calls it a strike. You're not happy about it. You turn around to argue, but before you say anything, you got to make sure you take a big step back, so that you're at least six feet from the umpire. I think in general, there's probably six feet between the batter and the umpire. There's not six feet between the catcher and the umpire. Yeah, okay, okay. Let me let me try this one then. You're standing on first base and the opposing player is holding you on and he says, hey, I had sex with your wife last night. You've got to turn around and immediately back up six feet before you go, hey, fuck you, buddy. Yes. <laughs> All right. I like that rule. That rule shouldn't even just be a coronavirus rule. Yeah. It'll <laughs> stop the violence. Baseball has this little dance they play where they act like uh, when a brawl happens that this can't be in the game. And then oh. they look at the YouTube views. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> and they're like, oh, but people like the brawls. Right? Um, after batting, players must take their own equipment from the dugout back on the field. They cannot have a teammate, coach, or bat boy help you by grabbing your glove or cap. That's... that's- that's hilarious. What? Well, because normally, a lot of times, if I'm like, if I play second base and the shortstop is on second when the inning ended, I would, I would grab his glove and oh, run yeah. out with it and throw it, throw it like on the dirt and he'd come pick it up. No, I'm familiar. Uh, I'm just, I'm imagining all of these people who, <laughs> like, well, if, if you're the center fielder who gets thrown out trying to leg out a double, <laughs> you know, suddenly you're on the clock here. You got to run all the way back in from second base. You got to run all the way back out to the outfield. Well, I don't have to tell you, Joel, that the Bat Boys Union is going to have a field day with this. Oh yeah, that's or like... actually, or, or they would. But this past off season, the owners crushed the Bat Boys Union along with the Bat Boys for stem cells. <laughs> oh, Yikes! Yeah. Oh yeah, they. No. You know how owners get? They were a little antsy about this whole virus thing, so they're like, just in case. Let's stock up on stem cells. Yeah, they need y- young blood inside of their bodies in order to yeah. stay immortal. So one, one of my favorites here, uh, leaning on the railing of the dugout is officially discouraged, but, <laughs> but permissible if a towel is used as a barrier. 
Oh, phew. That'll yeah. solve coronavirus. I know. These are all fucking nonsense. They're spitting in the ocean with all of it. Like, all of this kind of works, but it's like you're still going to cram 25 guys in one dugout. Well, no, actually, they're not. The, they're, the, everyone, there's going to be people basically seated in other areas. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, I didn't go to that one because I actually didn't think it was that interesting of a rule. But no, they're, they're, they're going to be spacing people out. I don't know how many will be in the dugout, but because they're having a 60, you know, they're having huge rosters, right? Yeah. People are oh, going to be dispersed. Right. They're going to have auxiliary seating areas um, so that everyone isn't crammed in the same space. So are they just oh. going to, like, be seated every six feet apart all the way down the first base and third base line? No, that'd be kind of funny. No, because they have to be, so per the, per the agreement, they have to be protected from the elements. So, and those like front row seats, those, those are out in the sun, right? So they have to be yeah. protected from sun, wind, and participation. So I'm guessing a bunch of like temporary like structures will be made. Okay. So, cool. so let me now envision uh, John Q baseball player hits a solo shot. He returns to the quote unquote dugout. How long do we now think it's going to take him to conduct the, I guess now would have to be elbow bumps with the team as he, they all celebrate what he's just done. I don't think they're going to celebrate anymore, yeah, Joel. I think, That's too I think close. That, I think it's a flawed question. What? Yeah. I think this. they're going to, from afar, be like, good job, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> way to go. I guess. What? I said way to go. Well, Jordan, so, I, I don't think you've gotten to what I, I figure has to be the most important of these rules. Oh, No I'm, more, no more spitballs. Well, I was going to say, so is there any position that's going to make out a bit better with these changes? Yes, yeah. pitchers. In lieu of licking their fingers, which pitchers often do, they will be allowed to have a, quote, wet rag in their back <laughs> pocket. So it's like a rosin bag. They can't touch it while they're on the mound, and you must dry your hands after touching it before you touch the ball. They never now, did that when they licked their fingers. Yeah, they're supposed to. Yeah, they're supposed to touch any body part before the glo- they can lick their fingers, but then they usually have to touch their uniform or arm. Their arm is what they usually touch because they usually have sunscreen on that. And that but <laughs> yeah, no, they, they after you go to the mouth, you can't go right to the ball. It's a balk. So no, so you can't no, no. you can't lick your fingers. You get, you use a wet rag, but you can see yeah. how this would be ripe for cheating, right? No mat. No, so no mouth to ball, no matter how kinky it is. That's right. Yeah. Now. Because because you could hypothetically put anything on this rag, umpires have the right to check the rag at any time. <laughs> Gross. But I, I, I'm going to editorialize here. Most umpires are old guys, and in the current climate, I don't see many of them volunteering to touch somebody else's wet rag. Yeah, mm. I wouldn't. That's That ball's got a lot of movement. Sure does. Yep. Uh-oh. <laughs> well. I'm not checking that. <laughs> Looks like that guy's putting Vaseline on it. Maybe. <laughs> but it could be snot, so fuck off. <laughs> uh, yeah. So here's here's the last one. So we'll have this season we'll have the DH in both leagues. And in an attempt to curb long game length, because we're packing in 60 games here, a recently bandied about but ultimately rejected idea will come in for this season only. Extra innings will begin with a man on second base. So, I know Joel has a reaction to this, but I want <laughs> Phil's reaction first as a sports outsider. What do you think about this? Starting extra innings with a man on second. 
This is to decrease the length of games to get a run scored quicker. I think it's great because then they could try to steal third every time because it's like a free attempt at a steal. Wow, that's actually, I didn't think about that. That would be pretty that, fun, though, right? That's some good game theory. Yeah, because yeah. you just what? start the... It's not bad, Phil. Hey, <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, you know what? We're 391 episodes into this podcast. I feel Ooh. like I now have a feeling here. Big Go 400. Ahead. Joel, yeah. any thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, as long as they don't do it in the playoffs, I don't think I mind that much. Yeah, they're uh, not. Yeah, yeah. No. And for, I, th- I think for... it's a... As much as I love extra innings games, for health purposes, it can't be good for pitching staffs to have to eat that many extra innings in in a single day, and I would rather the guys stay healthy, and if it stays that way in the playoffs, then I think, you know, we'll still occasionally get, like, a 19-inning game every once in a while. Who the hell wants a 19-inning game? The grass is green. The glove is cool. Having a dog at the game. Total of baseball. Major rebrand. Baseball's cool now. Total of baseball. Brought to you by... Mountain Dew. Punch in the face. As soon as you take a sip, someone comes out of nowhere and punches you in the face. And now it's time for another Sports Throughout History. Bum, 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 bum. Brought to you by... The History Channel. Uh, We're going to do the 1200s now. Not a lot happened, but we ran out of other centuries. Okay. Lots of things happened in the 1200s. The Magna Carta was signed in the 1200s. Joel, don't argue with the drop. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. The the drop is a one-way conversation, Joel. (laughs) Yeah, if, if, I mean, I'm just saying, the History Channel of all people should know that. Uh, This week is Abebe Bekila. The uh, the Ethiopian marathon runner who won the 1960 Olympic marathon. Sorry. All right. The uh, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. Uh, incidentally, <laughs> Thanks, <Joel>. yeah. <laughs> incidentally, guys, uh, he uh, was born on the day of the 1932 Los Angeles Olympic marathon. So how about that? That means it was destiny. Yes, indeed. That uh, feels like a factoid. It is. Yeah, that's a Snapple fact. But an especially fun <laughs> one. Uh, you, could, you could even argue that the more important thing that happened for the history of the Olympic marathon in 1932 was not the running of the marathon itself, but the birth of a baby Bikila. Yeah, one, could, one argue could argue that. Yeah, yeah, one could argue. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, as a young boy, Abebe played Genna. A traditional long-distance hockey game played with goalposts that are sometimes miles apart. This is like a village-on-village dealie, where it's, it's you know, like, you, you got, it's like, oh. I would, I like that. I would, I would like it even better if it was village-on-village-on-village-on-village-on-village. Oh, yeah. Like, there were goalposts at ten different villages, and the game went on for a week, and at any time you could, like, throw the ball into the net. Like, it could be yeah. 3 a.m., and then you just hear the, woo, and somebody got a, a goal. Oh, that'd be great. And then if you got the ball, you'd have to get with your team and be like, all right, who do we want to score on? Right. Or do we just want to put Heights this in a safety a deposit jerks. box in the bank for a week, <laughs> and then everyone will forget that we're playing the game, and that's when we sneak it out and score a goal. That's actually, I think this is a fantastic idea, and we should do it. Yep. Uh, so, uh, fast forward to the 1960 Olympics. Uh, they were in Rome. It was a real big one. 
Uh, he had already shown uh, a, a little bit of uh, ability here. Uh, he won his first marathon in July of 1960, won a month later in Addis Ababa uh, with a time of 2.21.23. It's pretty good, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. For context, my time was 4.54.54. Huh. So you lost. So, yeah. So could he More... have lapped you? Wait, how long was his? Could he have run two? Right. Well, I don't think he could have finished a second marathon at that time immediately after it. But if we had all stopped and given him time, like a day to rest, then yes, he absolutely could have finished two marathons in the time that I did one. Okay. Okay. In Good fact, he, he could have slowed down a little and still done it. <laughs> Uh, but that was faster than the existing Olympic record held by Emil Zapotec. You know, the famed Czech distance runner, Emil Zapotec. Yeah, no, I get whenever I uh, have auto body repair needs, I go to Zapotec Auto. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, due to Rome's, so, so uh, fast forward to the Olympic marathon on September 10th, uh, uh, that says more fall to me than summer, but uh, I guess my sense of seasons was warped by growing up in Michigan. Sure. Uh, in Rome, a bebe purchased uh, a bebe purchased new running shoes, but they did not fit well and gave him blisters. Oh no! Uh, so what do that's you the do, worst, guys? That's the worst case scenario for a distance runner. Yeah, right? it's like and, uh, getting arm sprain for a pitcher. Yeah, and consider like he came from Ethiopia in 1960. So here he is in Rome in this far distant land that once attacked and conquered his country. So a little bit of bad blood. Uh, and he doesn't have a pair of shoes that he can wear that he feels good with. What do you think so he decided to do? He said, when in Rome, and then wore shoes. <laughs> You're right. I'm going to go with sandals. No, no. Phil's got it. He went to a designer Italian footwear store. And no, he consequently decided to run barefoot. Yikes. Whoa. Yeah. That is hard. That is so metal. That's yeah. so that fucking really punk metal. rock. Yeah. Due to Rome's blistering heat, the race started in late afternoon at the foot of the Capitoline Hill staircase and finished at night at the Arch of Constantine, just outside the Colosseum. Which, by the way, how badass is that? You prepare for an Olympic marathon your whole life, you're coming into the final bit, and it's like, oh, it's the freaking Colosseum. Also, yeah. I got to imagine... All those uh, cobblestone streets, them pavers are hot, boy. Oh, Ooh, yeah. yeah. Hot on the little piggies. Uh, Burn when, your I was, when I visited Rome, it got so hot that we were leaving footprints in the asphalt. Yikes. Yeah. So he's barefoot. <laughs> no, you were leaving shoe prints in the asphalt. Yes, no, yeah, correct. This guy was leaving <laughs> footprints <laughs> in the asphalt. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely correct. Uh, between five kilometers, uh, kilometers and 20 kilometers, <laughs> kilometer. kilometers, I'm going to stick with that between five kilometers and 20 kilometers, the lead changed several times, uh, by about 25 kilometers, uh, Abebe and Ben Abdesalam, uh, that's lowercase Ben Abdesalam, uh, moved away from the rest of the pack, trailing by about two minutes at the 30 kilometers mark uh it's about 19 miles of the 26 uh where new zealand's barry mcgee there's a name i can pronounce (laughs) phew finally we got one thank god for barry mcgee four syllables yeah 
who was to finish in third in 217-18.2. And Sergei Popov of the famous vodka, uh, the world world, uh, record marathon holder at the time, uh, finished fifth, actually. So already, you know, we're talking shattering the Olympic record. Uh, Abebe and Ben Abdesalam remained together until the last 500 meters. Guys, it's an over 40 kilometer race. And and it came down to the last half kilometer. That's that's incredible. I would say that is both really cool and really frustrating if you're one or two. You know? Right? Exactly. Like, couldn't we have just skipped to this bit? Uh, in the early evening darkness, his path along the Appian Way was lined with Italian s- soldiers holding torches. That's actually kind of a disturbing image. That's Anybody scary. familiar yeah, with fascism? Like yeah. But I they were doing it for that. light, right? They were doing it for, for uh, honest reasons, right? Sure. Let's, uh, there's certainly nothing that would lead to believing otherwise. Okay, uh, Bebe's good. winning time was 2.15.16.2. 25 seconds faster than Ben Abdelislam uh, at 2.15.41.6. So clearly he just really broke away with it. Uh, and he broke Popoff's world record by eight-tenths of a second. Nice. Wow, that long of a race in eight-tenths of a second. You know, it really is like every second counts, you yeah? know? Uh, yeah. You can't stop and tie your shoes. Well, he didn't have any shoes. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a sneeze, though. Like, right? that's a sneeze, and, and you don't break the record. Wow. Right? Well, hey, one has to think about it. Uh, I mean, clearly, maybe that was what uh, people needed to do. All the previous records involved stopping to tie shoes. <laughs> yep, there we go. So they just needed some advancements in either shoe technology or right? getting people used to being barefoot. And while, and while Popov had miraculously reduced his shoe tying time all the way down to 1.2 seconds, the eight-tenths of a second he won by clearly clearly made up by not wearing shoes. And that was the year they invented Velcro. Yeah. Uh, immediately after crossing the fish and finish line, Abebe began to touch his toes and run in place and later said he could have run another 10 to 15 kilometers. Huh. Well, then why didn't he run the kilometers he was supposed to run faster? <laughs> right. I mean, if he had that much extra energy, I'm I'm sure he's asked himself that. It's got to be pretty frustrating to hit the end of the marathon and realize you could have gone harder. Yeah, you still got fuel in the tank. Uh, so uh, Abebe returned to his homeland a hero. He was greeted by a large crowd, many dignitaries, and the commander of the Imperial Guard, Brigadier General... Why am I even going to try? You guys That's, don't yeah, need to don't know try. who that is. The Brigadier bother. General at <laughs> yes, that time. A famed yeah. Brigadier General from Ethiopia in 1960. The, our fans uh, can look it up or maybe make an animation about it. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and people now realize that the, the high altitude uh, lifestyle of most of the people in Ethiopia, uh, which I watched a documentary about the other night, guys, I think that's very high on my list of places I want to visit now. Uh, have you guys ever heard of Lollabella? Uh, is that like Lollapalooza? They, no, they, they, it's these no, churches. No, it's more like Lilith Fair. Yeah. It's, it's these churches that are way up in the mountain that are like normal sized one room churches, but they're literally carved out of the mountain. It's like a single block of rock that's emerged from anyway. 
I haven't uh, heard a single block of rock like that since I since uh, WGRD in Grand Rapids. You know? Rock block, 40 right. minutes, commercial free. Exactly. Po- point is, there's now a very long, grand tradition of endurance athletes and particularly distance runners who hail from Ethiopia and the surrounding areas. And we all have a Bebe and his bare feet in 1960 Olympic win to thank for that. Thank you, Abebe. And thus brings to a close another sports throughout history. Bum, 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 bum. Brought to you by the History Channel. You know, the 1200s had some stuff going on. We're going to skip to the 1300s, though. Joining us now on the podcast is a French cyclist. Pierre Roland. Oh, hello! Thank you for having me on the podcast. Oh, this oh, is so end. great. I have been lobbying to get a cyclist on this podcast for the longest time. Oh, I and you're know you have, John. Finally here, Pierre. I'm a big fan. Uh, love your love your racing style. I wish more climbers like you were near the, the top of the pack. The years when they have less time trialing are some of my favorites. And obviously, those are the ones that favor you, so... Joel, you know, we uh, in France, we uh, all listen to this sports, sports, sports podcast. <laughs> oh, and, that's fantastic. Uh, and you, Joel Anderson, are something of a god to us oh. <laughs> for for constantly sharing the the joy that is uh, the Tour de France with I, the world. And I the cycling lifestyle the with the baguettes and the baskets and the bicycle and the wine. I, I keep trying to get the word out here because because uh, people should know and they we should know about you. We very much appreciate it. We very much, Joel. I just uh, even speaking to you right now is like uh, speaking to Jerry Lewis. Is uh, is like <laughs> speaking to a god. Oh wow! Oh wow! Everyone at home, you I, I, you guys here heard it here first. Uh, Pierre uh, before Roland he gets too finished. big of a head on yeah. this, I got to ask you, Pierre. I know the, the Tour de France has been moved uh, like a month later, but, and we've been asking everyone this, how are you going to do this event in the age of COVID? It's not, it's not really the Tour de France. I, don't, I consider this like a scrimmage, as we say. I don't know if you have the word scrimmage in, uh, in the United States, <laughs> but do. a scrimmage is right, uh, yeah. when people just play. It's not real. People are just, they're they're playing. Yeah, scrimmage is actually an English word. So yeah, we we do have that. It's like an exhibition. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's not real Tour de France. It's a a play scrimmage Tour de France. Are are we not going to have other major writers in there? Are you saying oh, guys no, like no, 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 no. Chris Froome and Nairo Quintana are going to be we staying away? We will have Chris Froome, we'll have Nairo Quintana, we'll have everybody. But, uh, but you know, the Tour de France is not just about the cycling. It's also, so when the, when the cyclists, they see each other the first time, you mwah, you mwah, you kiss them on the cheeks. And uh, with, yeah. And without that, it's not even really the Tour de France. Uh, now we cannot kiss on the cheek. It's not. Uh, it's not real. Boy, I'm I mean, going to be maybe... honest with you. Uh, I I I watch a lot of cycling, and I don't really know how that's so terribly important to the to the entire 
thing. I mean, oh, if anything, Joel. that seems like a pretty easy way to, oh. Joel, to drop you, it. Joel, it's disappointing to hear a god like you uh, saying something that they can be construed as being culturally insensitive. Oh, just that, I mean... I know you this guys is like how you the... lose God status, Joel. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, the, but... the exchanging of fluids amongst the French is a is a time honored tradition. <laughs> uh, and without the exchanging of fluids, lip to cheek or lip to lip or other ways, <laughs> it, it's not really. It does not feel real. You know, it's like uh, it's like Americans. It's like I've got personal space. It's personal space. We do not we do not do that in France. We have to touch each other. We have to love each other in order for it to feel like okay. we're all participating in this whole thing together. Understood. But I mean, here in America like we shake hands, you know. No, oh, the uh, handshake. <laughs> the handshake is like I kind of want to touch you, but I don't really want to touch you. It feels but, so formal. It feels so, so formal the handshake. Yeah. And I, I am a businessman. Here touch my fingers. My my bigger point here, though, is that the, you know, we're not shaking hands here in America, even though that's our cultural tradition, just for a short time to stay safe. So and I that's guess why I don't consider anything that happens in America real right now. <laughs> okay, okay. No touching. Uh, no touching. Let's. Oh, we might as well be over a Zoom call. <laughs> Everything's done. We, let's just do the Tour de France on a Zoom call. Uh, you know, maybe a Zoom and a Peloton. You could have a little fun there, Pierre. That is, we do love the Peloton. Oh, <laughs> the Peloton is like uh, uh, cycling through the countryside. Uh, but uh, but uh, you can do it uh, day and night, and it feels like day. <laughs> it's, I, I would assume that Pierre would be referring to the actual Peloton when he said that. <laughs> Oh, we do love... I mean, that Peloton is better. Yeah, but, but I mean, the idea that you do what? You'd rather do a virtual bike race than one where you're not... No, 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 no. That would cheeks? also be a scrimmage. That, too, would be a scrimmage. The only way to do a real bike race is to make sure that before the bike race, before the bike race, before the bike race, maybe... You know, you have to exchange fluids. Yeah, I gotta say, uh, maybe this is more of like a French thing, but I never really realized that about the Tour de France. Is there, are there other there things that there is so much kissing in the Tour de France? <laughs> Pretty much, whenever the cameras aren't rolling, everybody's touching and kissing. <laughs> like even when they're on their bikes. Oh yeah, every single time you pass somebody, uh, first of course you ring the little bell on your cycle <laughs> so that people know. That's that just polite. Coming. Yeah, that's good etiquette. It's yeah. just polite. And then as you pass by, you lean over and you give a little smooch <laughs> on the cheek and say, you're doing great. But you just don't do this when the TV cameras are around. No, when the TV cameras are on, we have to look as a little bit of a theater. We have to uh, look like we're fierce competitors. We, we hate each other. We want to bike each other into the ground. But really, when we're passing each other, you're doing great. <laughs> I, I love this as a sign of sportsmanship. I think this speaks to the, you know, basically the European model of sport and, and just the sportsmanship that's inherent in that. It's a grand uh, sportsmanship. Right. It's grand. Uh, that's how you know that uh, we uh, understand the trials and tribulations that they're all going through is uh, through kisses on yeah. the chick. 
Uh, Jordan, here's the thing. I think the European uh, model of sports is much like the European model of everything, and that's to just not try very hard. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Jordan, you are still we're a, a god to us. You are still a god to us, but that was a very yeah, low I, no, blow I, for I, a very know, high up god. I gotta say, I mean, with the accusations that always like fly around about the racers, you know, colluding to have sort of a slow day and to not race as hard, you know, during certain stages, uh, all of the kisses and the and the the polite passing certainly makes it sound like you guys might be just putting on a show at the end and no. letting those flat stages roll by mostly without competing. Joel, well, this is like the time Jerry Lewis said he didn't really care for crepes. Oh, that was a tough one for us. <laughs> we did not care. Oh, when, when Jerry Lewis said that, he was still the funniest man on earth, but a little less funny, maybe? Maybe we give him a little... <laughs> when, it, when his joke is a, is a nine, instead of giving him an 11 reaction, we give him a 10. Right, well, I mean, a lot of French people also agree with me that the writers are occasionally not being as combative as they should. I don't know what you're talking about. Everyone in France, everyone. <laughs> I mean, there France might be on your side with the kisses, excellent. but they just all they all understand the culture of the kisses. Yeah. Unless you are exchanging the fluids, it's not a sport. You, like in MMA, I've watched the American MMA. Yeah, mm-hmm. so much exchange of the fluids. It's like a dream sport for France. <laughs> There's sweat dripping in mouths and rolling around on the ground. There's no kissing. Oh, when the cameras it gets aren't very there. Close. It gets very kissing. close, though. There's so you're kisses. saying in, in French MMA, when they're grappling like they do, is it all cheek kisses? You give a little uh, kiss on the cheek and you say you're fighting very good. Oh, okay. All right. I love this encouragement. Yes, it is. But I must go away. Away go I. Uh... To go kiss some cheekies when uh, when the CDC isn't watching. Well, you know, be careful there, Pierre, and uh, a good luck in the Tour de France. I meant the World Health Organization. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for another wide world of weird sports. That's what weird sports time. That's what weird sports. Wide world of weird sports. What do we got this week? This week's Wide World of Weird Sports, Trouble with the Curve. Okay. You yeah. know, I've never seen this, but I'm aware of it. Yep. This is, a, the- this is a driving movie? Nope. Trouble with the Curve is a 2012 American sports drama film directed by Robert Lorenz and starring Clint Eastwood, Amy Adams, Justin Timberlake, Matthew Lillard, and John Goodman. Oh, wow, that's a big one. I, yeah. Why haven't I heard of this? I don't know. The film revolves around an aging baseball scout whose daughter joins him on a scouting trip. Oh, and that would that be Amy Adams? That would be Amy Adams and the father. The trip movie. Yep. Road Exquisitely trip. gorgeous Amy Adams. You know, they learn about each other while they learn about the world. It's the joy of a road trip movie. Filming began in March 2012, and the film was released on September 21st, 2012. That's a fast cycle right there. Cycle. Yes, I agree. Yep. This was Eastwood's first acting project since 2008's Gran Torino and his first acting role in a film he did not direct since 1995's Casper. Mm. 
<laughs> that that's a another for the Snapple cap. Yeah, I feel like Casper was the movie where he's like, "Fuck this! I am never acting in something I don't direct again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you uh, know what? I feel like he was pretty good at the start, but uh, but I don't know. Eastwood as a director has really gone downhill. That's fair. That's fair. Let's talk about the plot a little bit before we talk about the controversy. So I'm going to run through this quick. An aging Atlanta Braves baseball scout, Gus Lobel, played by Eastwood, is given one last assignment to prove his value to the organization, who views him as unable to adapt with the changes of the game, which has frankly been every Eastwood role for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like, exactly. I'm old and I can't adapt. No, that's, that's every movie that he's directed. <laughs> Worked yeah. once for Unforgiven, and then it's been kind of like, oh, you're doing this again ever since? <laughs> And uh, that kind of uh, talks about his conservative values a bit, where it's just oh. like, damn kid in their Twitter. This is like every movie is kind of that. Yeah. Get off the cons- my The lawn. conservative values that are, are people are, are not entirely uncomfortable with at this point. Yeah. No, I don't true. like Twitter. Yes, we can go with that one. <laughs> his boss and friend Pete, who's played by Goodman, does not want to let him go. Um, but he must contend with an ambitious young junior executive played by Matthew Lillard, whose name is Phil, who's trying to get a promotion to the team's general manager post and wants Gus fired as an obstacle to his own baseball philosophy and methods. Not enough positive Phils in the media. I know, they're all evil. Uh, Pete uh, suspects Gus is hiding a problems with his health, so against Gus's wishes, Pete contacts Gus's daughter, Mickey who's played by Adams. They, the only girl in the movie isn't even given a girl's name. Mickey can go yeah. both ways. I guess, uh, I guess so, but not much. Yeah. A workaholic lawyer pursuing a partnership at her firm to join his, her father on a scouting trip to North Carolina. Hey, you workaholic lawyer, why don't you take a little vacation with Pops? Yeah, to North Carolina. <laughs> Come on and rise up, yeah. Good good uh, thing you work so hard so you can, when you do get time off, take that all-expenses-paid trip to North Carolina. Right. Uh, Gus is to review a top prospect named Bo Gentry, who's a brash amateur whose statistics make him likely to top the draft pick. Mm. Mickey realizes that Gus's vision is uh, failing and starts to take an active role uh, in his work to make up for his shortcoming. Oh, well, what a nice twist. Yeah, his daughter's like, like all right, Dad. Father-daughter connection. I'm guessing she works too hard. He always worked too hard, but now they get to sort of come together. <laughs> but here comes the heat. Along the way, Gus reconnects with a former player he once scouted, Johnny the Flame Flanagan, played by Justin Timberlake. Oh, awesome. Who's now a scout for the Boston Red Sox. Who takes an interest in Mickey. Uh-oh. Oh, I don't know. Uh, when Mickey questions Gus about leaving her with an uncle she barely knew as a child, after her mother's passing, the conversation takes a sour turn, and Mickey storms off, leaving Gus frustrated. As Gus... Yeah, why would like, Gus be frustrated? Because of the fight. Because it took well, a sour no, turn. No, I know, but it sounds like... Sounds like she's the one with reason to be frustrated. Oh, yeah, but he's like, I was trying my best. I'm Clint Eastwood. Trying my best. <laughs> uh, as Gus, Mickey, and a group of other scouts watch Bo play, 
Gus and Mickey realize he can't hit a curveball. He's got trouble with the curve. Mm. Wait, how could he be statistically such a high, highly valued prospect and then have trouble with the curveball? He's so good at everything else that it makes up for his trouble with the yeah, curve. I don't, oh, I'm having a hard, I'm having a hard, buy, hard time buying in. No, now. yeah, Jordan, to a baseball fan, uh, which you know I understand you're not in this category, but to a baseball fan that makes perfect sense because you know curveballs aren't like fastballs; they're tricky. Well, I'm going to speed this up a little bit and just say that Gus helps Bo get over his problem with the curve. Oh, good. So he's he's got a problem with the curve, and then it's it's resolved in, what, a matter of months before the draft? Yeah, he figures Usually it out. You have to change up your swing a bit. The yeah, reason okay, why I'm speeding right. through is because I want to get to the important thing, which is the plagiarism lawsuit. Ooh. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Wow. A year who after would, the film's release. Who would another want to pro- plagiarize such a dumb story? <laughs> Oh, uh, well, that's the problem with dumb stories. Kind of like all the people that tried to sue because they said they wrote Kindergarten Cop first. Oh, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Harden Cop has to be around kids. Good premise, bro. <laughs> that was a tough one. Uh, but yeah, the... Uh, the uh, so after a year after the film's release, another producer, Ryan Brooks, filed a lawsuit against Warner, the producer's two talent agencies, and screenwriter Brown and, Hertz and Hansfield an actor and a former partner of Brooks. They sued everybody. They alleged copyright infringement and conspiracy, claiming the produced screenplay of the film bore striking similarities to Omaha, which is an unproduced screenplay he had commissioned from Hansfield that had its main character, an older college baseball coach, working through a difficult relationship with his grown daughter, as well as other plot elements. (laughs) So it wasn't even about a scout. It was about an old baseball coach. Okay. Uh, yeah, I would have thought that uh, that Omaha was the one that was uh, plagiarized by Nebraska. Yeah. So did they win, I guess? It's really hard to win these lawsuits. It has not been settled yet. Interesting. Yep, there's still a demand of $5 million in damages. Still out in the ether. <laughs> Something tells me his script was not worth $5 million. No, no. Yeah. And something tells me that uh, that it's not as much about ideas as it is execution, which is something that nobody seems to be able in this world to get their head around. Yep. It's, I uh, agree, 100%. Every time there's another lawsuit about so-and-so stole a song from so-and-so, I want to tear my freaking hair out again. Yeah. How many Freaky Fridays have we seen? Yeah. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. But you know what? Some are good. Some are bad. You know why? Execution. Do you see Freaky Friday going out and suing vice versa? No. (laughs) Do you see vice versa going out and suing change up? No. Right. And do you you see see any of them going out and suing face off? No, but it's a little different. (laughs) No, it's, it's basically the same thing. They switch places. And that brings it into another wide world of weird sports. Oh, Nicholas Cage elevates every piece of work that he's in because he's such a fun actor. Citizens of Podcast Town, this brings you a close to the sports. 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 Podcast. But before we go, we're going to bring back Pierre Roland to give you our contact information. It is such an honor to be able to give the contact information with a god like Joel. Thank oh, you for having me I'm back. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate it. 
You can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash sports and number three podcast. That's facebook.com slash sports and number three podcast. You know, uh, Facebook would be better if it was face to face and you could give little kisses on the cheek. <laughs> we all or agree. You could find us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash sports and number three podcast. That's twitter.com slash sports and number three podcast. You know what's better than tweeting? Seeing each other face to face and giving little kisses on the cheek. <laughs> Yeah, bezu, bezu. Bezu, bezu. Or you can find all of our back episodes at anchor.fm slash sports the number three podcast. That's anchor.fm slash sports the number three podcast. Oh, the, the anchor makes me think of the sea where you could go on the boat with a beautiful woman and you could give lots of kisses on the jeep. <laughs> Thank you very much, Pierre. You're welcome. I love you, Joel. Hey, guys. Joel. Joel. I'm going to go hang out with Pierre Roland. Bye, Bye Joel. Joel.